I, today I want to continue a series that we've been in uh, all until Easter where we're going through the season of Lent and we're talking about the cross. And we're talking about how the cross addresses multiple dimensions of our lives. In fact, what you learn when you look at the cross is that the cross provides answers to some of our biggest problems. Now today, I want to talk to you about the problem of unforgiveness. I want to talk to you about the cross being an answer to your ability and my ability to forgive. It's the solution to your bitterness. Because when you look at what Jesus did, when you look at the cross, you see that on the cross, he forgave you and he forgave me. Now, of course, it could be easy to dismiss that. I mean, you could say, well, yeah, but that's Jesus. You say, but I can't do that. I'm not Jesus. And in response, I'd say to you, look, if you only see Jesus as an example, or if you see Jesus as just a piece of information saying, well, just forgive like Jesus forgives, yeah, that's true. That'll never change you. But here's the thing. When the reality hits of your own need for forgiveness, when that sinks deeply into your heart, then you will be changed. You might remember last week when we talked about the problem of identity and knowing who we are, that one of the, one of the aspects of a cross-centered identity, identity is knowing that there is something seriously wrong with me, that the gospel says that there is something wrong with me that required the cross to happen. Well, when you look at the cross and you realize that, you can say, gosh, I'm sure in need of forgiveness. In fact, if you just write this down, if you've printed out your notes, just write this down. This is the first point, that giving others grace is always the product of knowing how much you need grace. In other words, the way that you learn how to forgive is you've got to get in touch with how much you actually need forgiveness. And when you take that into the center of your heart, and when your heart gets melted by a spiritual understanding of what it is that he did for you, well, then you become like him. Now today I want to read to you a story that Jesus told about the nature of forgiveness. And it's a tragic story. And Jesus tells it as a warning. So take a look at this, either on the screen or in your, on your notes. Watch this. Peter asked Jesus, Lord... How many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Because that is the question, isn't it, that we all have. He says up to seven times. Of course, Peter thinks that's generous. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Then Jesus tells the story. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began the settlement a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master then took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. 
Well, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called that servant in and he says, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. I forgave you. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? Just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Now, what's next here is very, very troubling because turning him over to the jailers to be tortured, Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now, the reason that is so troubling is because it leaves you wondering, it leaves me wondering, is Jesus indicating that an unforgiving heart will lead you to eternal punishment? Because if so, some of you are watching this right now and you're saying, well, wait a minute. Doesn't the New Testament say that we're not saved by our good works and we're not lost by our good works? Aren't we saved only because of what Jesus has done on the cross? And so is Jesus saying that if you fail to forgive people, you go to hell? And my answer is going to be no. That's not quite what Jesus is saying. But it is troubling now, one of the ways you can tell that's not quite what he's saying is, if you notice, if you look at a parallel passage a little bit later in the chapters of this book, Matthew, Matthew 25, you see a place where the Lord is on judgment day and he's looking at all of these people. And I'm just going to read the first part to you. You can see it in your notes. But, but the judge looks at these people and he says, you did not feed the hungry. You did not care for the sick. He says, you did not shelter the homeless. You didn't visit the prisoner. And then he looks at the people and he says, therefore, go away into eternal punishment. And again, on the surface of it, it looks like that Jesus is saying again, you go to heaven or hell on the basis of what you did and didn't do. But then the king says something interesting because the people are upset about going into eternal punishment. And they say, Lord, what are you talking about? And you'll notice this on the screen. Lord, what are you talking about? Lord. When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick and in prison? When did we not help you? And notice what the king says. The king says, when you failed to do it to them, it proved you'd failed to do it to me. Or to put it another way, the Lord is saying, when you close your heart to the poor, that proves you're closing your heart to me. Now, it's parallels like this, and you see this in Matthew, that helps you to understand what Jesus is saying here in this other passage. The king is saying to the servant, the fact that you didn't open up your heart to mercy to that other servant proved that you had never really opened your heart to my mercy. And Jesus says it as a warning. You know, there's an illustration that I used a few years ago, but it bears repeating. If you can just imagine two trees that are side by side, let's say they're apple trees. Now, you look at apple trees, and apple trees ought to have apples on them, right? But if you see that one of the trees doesn't have any apples on it, what, it, what is it safe to assume? 
If one tree is producing apples, but the other tree isn't, it's safe to assume that the tree that's not producing apples, well, it's either diseased or it's dying. Now understand, it's not that the fruit gives the tree life, but the fruit reveals that the tree has life. And what Jesus is saying is, there's absolutely no better way to tell if you have a real relationship with God based on grace than if you forgive others. You see, this servant was forgiven an infinite debt. And if he had gotten that, then he should have been gracious to everybody. But he wasn't. And it proved something that he didn't yet understand. Mercy. Or even know what he was given. Now, for the remainder of this message, I just want to talk to you very briefly. Not going to be a long message today. But I want to talk to you very briefly about the, what it takes to actually forgive somebody. And what we see from this passage. How do I forgive somebody who's really wronged me? Because I know you're thinking of people right now probably that have hurt you deeply. Well, pay attention to what Jesus says here. And be the person that he's called you to be. Now, the secret you're going to notice is found in verse 27. If you just take a look at this scripture, it says, The servant's master took pity on him, and he did three things. He canceled the debt. He took pity on him. He canceled the debt, and he let him go. And we're just going to go through these, th these three things. He took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. So number one, he took pity on him. What does that mean? Write this down. To take pity means that you identify with the person that wrongs you. Now that's the first secret to being able to forgive anybody is that you're able to identify with them. Why? Because in the Bible, when it uses the word took pity, the word literally means in the Greek to have compassion or literally it means to have your heart go out to somebody. In English, that means that you're able to identify with their struggle. Or their pain. You're putting your heart into them. You feel something of what they feel. Now. When you hold on to a grudge. What's enabling you to hold on to a grudge. Is you typically do the opposite of that. When you're holding on to a grudge. Your heart wants to accentuate the differences. Between you and that other person. What do you do? You stay bitter towards somebody by creating a caricature out of them. Now, you know what I mean by caricature. Characters are something that cartoon artists draw. You think about characters, and when an artist, I love artists that can do this, when they draw a caricature, what they do is they accentuate their worst features. So you've seen them do this. If you have ears that are kind of big, the artist will make them a little bigger. If you have a nose that is big, the artist will make it huge. What is that person doing? It's taking your features and blowing them up. Well, that's what you do when you stay angry at somebody. For example, let's say that you're angry because somebody lied to you. Well, when they lie to you, they didn't just lie. They didn't just make a mistake. They didn't just lie. They're a liar. You despise them. You can't believe that they would lie to you about that. And you hold it over them. But you notice, when you lie to somebody, if you've ever lied, and I say to you, well, why did you lie? You'll say, well, it was complicated. You'll say, I, I just made a mistake, but in my heart, I'm not a liar. But with them, no, they're a liar. You know, in one of his essays on forgiveness, one of my heroes, a man by the name of Miroslav Volv, he says, and I'll just read this to you. He says, forgiveness flounders 
because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. It's a failure to identify and have compassion. And God says, the moment that you do that, you're going to be given over to bitterness. So what's the first thing you have to do? You have to take pity. You have to realize that, hey, we're in the same boat. I've wronged people, you've wronged people. Now here's the second thing that Jesus says was done. The master canceled the debt. Would you write that down? You cancel their debt. In other words, you consider in your heart that they no longer owe me. Doesn't mean you forget it necessarily. You may still know what happened. It doesn't mean that you deny it necessarily, but you cancel what you feel they owe to you. Now, by the way, this is the heart of what it means to forgive. Because if you want to understand forgiveness, the whole key here to this passage is you've got to look and say, how much did this guy owe the king? In other words, what was the size of the servant's debt? Now, the text says he owed 10,000 talents. If you study any commentator, you're going to see the commentators point out that this, this was a fantastic amount. We're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars. That's the equivalent in today's, in today's world. In fact, some commentators say it would have been about a trillion dollars. Now, if you think of a servant, who do you think of? You'd think of a butler or a gardener or you'd think of a cook. So here's the question. How could a household servant who lost billions and trillions of dollars, how could they ever pay this back? Well, you know the answer. They could never pay it back. So what does it mean when it says the master canceled the debt? Here's what it means to cancel a debt and say they no longer owe me. This is when you choose to absorb the debt onto yourself. I'll just give you a physical example of this. Let's say that I invited you over to my house for dinner and uh, we're hanging out, but you sort of, you get clumsy and you stumble and you knock over one of my lamps and you break it. Now, if I say to you, oh, that's all right, I forgive you, what does that really mean? That means I'm going to absorb the cost. I mean, I'm going to still have to replace the lamp, aren't I? But what's happened is I've transferred the debt onto me. It, it doesn't just go into thin air. Somebody has to pay for it. But I've absorbed it onto myself. Now, friend, listen, that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is when you absorb the debt into yourself. Now, listen to me. You can try and make them pay. And people do that. You can. You can try and hurt the person that hurts you. You can gossip about them. You can even make it sound self-righteous. You know, you turn to somebody and you say, hey, let me tell you about this person. You can slice up their reputation. Or you can just be cold to them. You don't say hi to them when they come around. You withdraw your friendships from them. You know, you can do all of that. But I'm going to tell you something. When you do that, that actually puts you in dwell. In, excuse me, that puts you in jail and it twists your character. And do you understand when you do that? It actually makes you more like Satan than it makes you like Jesus. Here's why. As you hold a grudge and your self-centeredness grows and your anger grows and your bitterness grows, you actually become like the prince of darkness rather than becoming more like Christ. 
And what happens is you grow justified in your own anger. You begin to believe, well, I should feel angry toward them. And I, I have a reason to be bitter toward them. And you end up in a prison of your own bitterness. Friends, be very careful about this. It is so deceptive. One of my favorite uh, writers, uh, Frederick Buchner, he's a Christian writer and he basically says this. He says, of the seven deadly sins, he says, anger is the most fun. <laughs> he says, to lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor that last toothsome morsel of the pain you're giving back to them in many ways. It is a feast fit for a king. But then he says, the chief drawback though is that what you're wolfing down at this feast is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Now, I, I want you to think about this story for just a minute. What ends up happening to the servant that is forgiven so much but refuses to forgive? It says that he's the one that ends up in jail. And you think about it, and Jesus compares this jail to eternal torment and suffering. Now, I'm going to say to you, that's absolutely realistic. Why? Because friends, listen to me. What is hell? Hell is the outcome of what you have allowed yourself to become. And what's the alternative of that? When somebody wrongs you, what's the alternative to being bitter? Well, the alternative is you pay for it. And I know somebody says, well, how? How do I pay? How do you absorb the debt? Well, let me just give you some thoughts about how you pay. One way that you pay is, is that you love them when you don't feel like loving them. Your feelings tell you, no, don't do it. It's hard to do. But instead, you choose to love them. Well, that hurts, and so you pay. Or here's another you resist the urge to talk about them badly when you want to. You want to tell somebody what they've done, but you actually choose not to. In fact, you become a blessing to them, and you bless them, not curse them. That's you absorbing the debt. That's you paying. When you want so badly to berate them and tell them off, and you want to make them feel so bad, you want to withdraw your friendship, what do you do? You approach them. You dig deep. You refuse to berate them. You refuse to do it. Now, let me tell you what happens, friends. Listen to me, because this is save your life. Do you know what happens when you do that? When you do that, it cuts off the oxygen to your own self-pity. It cuts off the oxygen to your own self-centeredness. It cuts off the oxygen to your bitterness. And bit by bit, by bit, eventually, if you choose forgiveness, the anger will recede, and eventually you'll start to feel forgiveness. Now, friend, I hope you're listening carefully as you're watching this right now. Listen to me. The Bible says you always grant forgiveness before you feel forgiveness. And I know many people say, well, no, I need time. I need to feel forgiveness before I grant it. No. The Bible says you give it before you feel it. Jesus says, but when you're praying to him, first you go and forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Now, somebody says, but, but pastor, this is hard. And I want to say to you, that's right. It's hard. 
That's why you pay. You see, Jesus knows that if you wait to feel it before you do it, you're never going to do it, and you'll be in prison. It's an obvious act of the will. You say, but it would hurt so bad. Yes, you suffer. When you want to think bad thoughts about them and you stop, oh man, that hurts. Your pain. When you want to slice them up and you don't and instead you say something kind about them, oh, that kind of hurts. Instead of slandering them and slicing them, you're suffering. When you choose to hold your tongue, when you want to say something, you're suffering. But when you do that, friends, I'm giving you the secret here. Jesus says whoever wants to gain his life will lose his life. Anytime you have the opportunity to lay down your life for someone, you take it. You don't deny it. Anytime you have the opportunity to be selfish, you reject it. And when you make those decisions, your heart will soften instead of harden. And what happens is you escape the prison. Okay, last point. You ready? What else do we see from the story? Number three, write this down. Final step. You let them go. First... You identify with the person who's wronged you. You realize we're all in the same boat. We're all imperfect. Second, second, you absorb the debt. You pay for it. And I've already described how you pay. Third, you let them go. Why? Because guys, this forgiveness thing, this thing of walking in grace with others, it is a significant thing. You know, up further in uh, Matthew chapter 18 at verse 15, notice it says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. Now, I want you to notice this verse, because this is insightful. It says, if your brother sins against you. Now, notice, this is talking about relationships within the church. And it's talking about having a ruptured relationship with fellow Christians. Now, This is really interesting because when you see this where it says, and go show him his fault, that's the word that Paul typically uses for the word evangelize. So here's the question. Why do you need to evangelize somebody who's already a brother or a sister in Christ, who's already a Christian? Think about that. Well, the implication is, When a person is unreconciled, when a person is angry and refusing to forgive, there is a severe form of spiritual blindness that's going on there, and you have to go back and evangelize them. Now, don't you see why? Why is there a form of spiritual blindness? Because friends, look at me for just a minute if you're not. If you say you're a Christian, but you refuse to forgive... Don't you realize you're denying the very gospel you profess to believe? It's not that life comes from the fruit, but the fruit shows that there is life. And this is why the writer of Hebrews says so clearly to the church, he says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. And he says, by it, many within the church even are defiled. Now, look at that image that Hebrews is pointing out there. What is unforgiveness? Well, unforgiveness, it's like a root 
Unforgiveness works its way like a subterranean root. It works in a subterranean way. What do I mean? Well, if you've ever cut down a tree in your yard, sometimes you cut the tree at the surface of the ground and it's kind of under the dirt and you just walk away. You think you've gotten rid of the tree and that's that. Sometime later, you come back again though and you notice that the tree has sprung up again. Why? Because you left the roots. And under the surface, it's hidden from your sight and that's not really that. Why? Why did that happen? Because you only gave it a surface level cut. No, friend, listen. God says you've got to go deeper than that. You say, how do I do that? Well, go back to the gospel. You see, on the cross that Jesus Christ, what did he do for you? He identified with you. It actually says he became you. He became sin on your behalf. And he took the penalty for you. He incarnated himself to meet people right where they are which is what we do for each other. How about that for identifying? And on the cross, he forgave you at the risk of his kingdom and at the cost of his life. You know what's fascinating? In this story, this servant is choking the other guy out. He's just been forgiven, but he's choking the other guy out. Here is a servant who should be humble and filled with grace. But what's he doing? He's acting like the judge and the king. Listen. The only way that you're going to stop doing that to one another is if you're melted by the beauty of a king who became a servant. And if you can see that, if you can see Jesus identifying with you and canceling your debt, letting it go, suddenly you'll begin to operate that way with others. You know, I have no trouble forgiving people for the things they've said about me, the wrongs that they've said. I forgive them because I know what a failure I am and how desperately I need forgiveness. <laughs> you know, I know that some of you have probably heard of this person coming up on the screen. Her name is Corrie ten Boom. She and her sister Betsy lived in the Netherlands during World War II. During the Holocaust, she hid Jews from the Nazis. But eventually they were caught, she and her sister. They were thrown into a concentration camp. Betsy, her sister, died Corrie ten Boom came out and survived. She became a Bible teacher and a speaker. She'd go around Europe and give her testimony. And she tells this story. It happened just a few years after the war. I want to read it to you. It says, at a church service in Munich, where I was speaking, she's writing, I saw him, the former SS man who stood guard at the so-called shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. With the other guards, he had often run his hand over the naked bodies as they went by and responded callously to requests for help. He was the first of our actual jailers that I ever had seen after the war. And suddenly it was all there again. The heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. When he came up to me as the church was emptying at the church I spoke at, he said, how grateful I am for your message, Fraulein. To think that as you say... He has washed away my sins. His hand was thrust to shake mine, but my hand stayed at my side, angry, vengeful thoughts boiled up through me. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not, and I silently prayed, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. <laughs> As I took his hand, she writes, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass. 
while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger. And the love almost overwhelmed me. (laughs) She could never have done that on her own. If that was the first time she'd ever tried to forgive somebody. Do you realize that? But in the knowledge of a king who became a servant for us, who lost his kingdom to forgive an infinite debt at the cross. Friends, don't you realize, no matter what you're facing, it's the cross. And it's the power of the gospel that enables you to face your prison of anger, to turn from who it's changing you to be, and to set you free. If you would just breathe in the fresh air of God's grace. I pray you could do that today. Let's pray that we'd all be able to do that, shall we? Father, oh God, I pray in Jesus' name for each one that's listening to this right now. And I ask that you would wash them with your grace. Fill them with the ability to forgive As they have received mercy, let them give mercy. And Lord, if there's anyone listening to this that doesn't know you, would you reveal yourself to them? Be with them and walk with them and help them to become like you. Lord, we commit our lives over to you and we give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen.